Good morning and welcome to another episode of Business and Legal Talk with Leo and Claudine. I am your host, Leo Landaverde, and my co-host, Claudine Sharon from the Sharon Law Firm. Awesome. Good morning. Good morning. Gosh, it's been so long. Good morning. <laughs> Have you had your Wheaties? Uh, uh, no, not yet. I was um, dragging today, but thanks to a good cup of Java and Salvadorian coffee, mind you. I am doing the good stuff. so much. Oh, you know, the, the kind of stuff. coffee that you just, it's not burnt. It's, uh, it's, it's, you, 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 it's best to have it with nothing other than j- just the experience itself. So if you ever have coffee that is not burnt, you don't want to go back. You don't want to go back. And I, I thank you for introducing me to that. Salvadorian coffee. Here's because, a plug for the Salvadorian farmers. Yes. And, um, it is really, really good. I mean, if somebody who really loves coffee, loves black coffee and loves dark coffee. And no, I don't want warm brown water. I want dark, thick Come coffee. Yeah. See, Fired see, up. It's working. It's and, working. And I did not know the difference between burnt coffee beans and uh, just nicely roasted dark coffee. Do you know that? Here's a little factoid that incidentally, 25% of uh, Dutch bros blend. Their, their, their best-selling blend, whatever coffee they use. Right. It comes from one plantation in El Salvador. Really? One provides 25% of the blend of all Dutch bros. Wow. I didn't know that. Yeah, there was, um, there was a show. Um, have you ever watched the show Secret Millionaire? No. Uh, it was on ABC. It was one of those, like, um, not Secret Millionaire, um, Undercover Boss. Yes, I okay. have watched that. I. Do you know that one of the, the one, so it was uh, two brothers, you know, the Dutch brothers, uh, one passed away, the older brother, and then the younger brother is running, the, the, you know, they're based in Oregon. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah. So the, the show was uh, one of them actually going undercover an entire operation of Dutch Bros. And uh, it really is, you know, we did a show on branding not too long ago. Right. Actually last week. Last week. And uh, we talked about this. So they really lived their brand. So in the show, he goes to you know it goes to visit the store there's a there's kind of a, a process to how they do the show you go to you know to their manufacturing plant if you have one uh then you go to the offices you, you go to the corporate office you go to their their locations and you got to make a tour of your entire business undercover so nobody knows nobody's supposed to know your employees are not supposed to know who they're dealing with right and there's always this thing about being a um Kind of somebody who is applying to uh, for an internship and is being taped, but whatever it is, they somehow they make an excuse for the cameras because I'm always looking at it going, to make how you're getting the cameras in there. Correct. But so this guy goes and he lands, and and I learned that's when I learned that there is one plantation in El Salvador where 25 percent of the blend comes. I was shocked being from El Salvador and knowing how good the coffee is. It didn't surprise me, but Starbucks actually has plantations in El Salvador. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, as well. Really? So anyway, we're not talking about coffee today, but we, but we could. digress, but we could. But probably, today's show is very important. It is, and, and, and coffee might be a, a more joyful subject. Um, than what we're about to discuss today. Yeah, we would be remiss if we wound up the year of 2019 without talking about what employment law changes are yep. coming around the horizon. And there's a few that I think are going to surprise people. Um, our governor has been signing bills 
like wildfire. So it's hard for us to even keep up with. Um, and so kind of doing, we're not going to do a real deep dive on them today because I, my concern is every time we bring up a subject like this or we kind of announce something new, it brings on, a, about, you know, 30 what if questions. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately yeah. we can't just, we can't really go that far into it on a, on a show like this. But for anybody who's listening, if you have any questions or you think this may apply to you, you know, certainly give us a call or give your attorney a call and, you know, sit down, um, it is good to go onto the internet and you can read about it, but you have to be careful because the law is full of um, caveats and it's full of um, slight variations and, and slight variations may ultimately result in a very big problem. Right. And so while I do encourage people to go online and to try to educate yourself and read about the subject, um, some of my best and most successful clients are, are clients that really, really understand their business and they understand the framework that they're operating within. Um, and, and because we are in an office at a different site and we are not there with our clients on a day-to-day basis, um, it's important that the client and you as a business owner really understand the framework for which your business operates in. Um, but we have a whole list of, of new rules that are coming down the pike for 2020 and 2021. And we're not going to hit all of them. We're just going to hit a few. And then I, um, I think it's important that we kind of touch on the subject of harassment before the, the whole conversation. Go ahead. You're, you're, you're the leading counsel in this one. We okay. So um, what one that it might be surprising to a lot of people is that there is now AB seven forty nine, which is a ban on no rehire provisions in the settlement agreement. So what it, I know. What's that all about? So it it almost is counterintuitive because you think okay, as an I, employer, if I have um, a settlement agreement with an employee to go away okay the settlement agreement indicates that we had a dispute right okay and we've settled it and then um what i cannot ban them from being hired again how's that work it's gonna be interesting so ab 749 prohibits and invalidates any provision in a settlement agreement entered into or on after or after excuse me january 21 or excuse me january 1 2020 um, and it prevents workers from obtaining future employment with the settling employer or its affiliated companies. So just to clarify again, if you have that ban in your settlement agreement, you are probably going to be in violation of AB 749. And the law applies to any employees who have filed a claim against their employer in court. Okay, so that's step number one. You actually have to have a, have um, filed against your employer in court before an administrative agency or an alternative dispute resolution forum. So that would be mediation or um, arbitration. Okay. Or some sort of alternative dispute resolution um, through the employer or through the employer's internal complaint process. So in court, some sort of a mediation, some sort of a, uh, a formal forum or within the employer's framework of a formal complaint forum. If the employee has complained internally and a severance agreement is reached with the employee without any litigation being filed, the employer would still be restricted from placing a no rehire provision in the severance agreements. So let me understand. I mean, you know, there's a whole lot that you just read right now, and I'm not an attorney, but uh, I play one on TV. Not just kidding. Um, so you had a dispute, and clearly you parted ways. You were not longer. Uh, you know, going in the same direction with the employee and mm-hmm. he decided to go 
separate directions. Right. How would that work? Like, I mean, I would have to have hundreds of employees and I don't never meet the employees. And that person was they go and somehow it makes its way back, applies for a job. Uh, and you can't. And you and don't know that that person had, or you basically have to look the other way. Um, exactly. And, and, and there's one more caveat to this and, and I don't want to miss it because it is important. Um, and then I'll answer your question because I know where you're going with this. The law does not prohibit or otherwise restrict an employer from preventing an employee from obtaining future employment. If the employer has, um, has made a good faith determination that the person engaged in sexual harassment or some sort of sexual assault. So we're taking those sexual crimes and we're putting those aside. Okay. That can, that can bring about a no rehire, um, label on this employee but it's it's as if um what we're trying to do is we're trying to take the no retaliation a step further in that employers are prohibited now from retaliating against an employee but 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 to say forget about the word retaliation you're not qualified to do the job you were not qualified in the first place to do the job and something happened and you're gone and you come back and apply and you're not based on the merits of your resume you're not qualified can i as an employer be uh, what are my rights? Well, you should you should be taking the employee through the entire um, employment Applica- application process, right? And then if you get to a point where you can absolutely articulate that they are not being hired based on qualifications, that's a different thing. This is talking about a ban that is in your settlement agreement that says employee is labeled as a no hire. Like you call our, you call the business, we're not even talking to you. You're a no hire. There's mm, don't don't put you the application don't let in. Them go through the employment. That's You're correct. basically our Banned. Singling them out. Yep, you're you saying can't do that. you're saying because we had a dispute, you are an absolute no hire ever okay. again. Hope that makes sense to the listener. Um, it's it's okay. a little bit complicated. It's not it's not super horrible, but I can see how uh, right off the bat people are going to hear this and they're going to go, "Wait a minute! I just go through a dispute process with this employee, which might bring about some really negative feelings towards each other." Right. <laughs> but the employee Hello. can come back and say, "No, no, you're gonna you're gonna still employ me." Um, right. I want to. I want to still work here. It's very difficult for people to deal with because then, and then we also have you know, imagine it that we have layers of management, and so the manager who has had to deal with this person and deal with the disputes and and probably defend themselves to some extent, or you know, other people within the department, and now you're saying that this person absolutely has a right to reapply, and they can't. You cannot include this no hire um, in their set- settlement agreement. Okay, well, we probably need to pause before we get into a break. Uh, I mean, sorry, we need to go to break before we take another topic. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. Business and Legal Talk with Leah and Claudine. Perfect. the most exciting topic but one topic that we need to talk about nonetheless it's you know labor law updates labor law updates every business owner should should know the basics um if you have any questions please reach out to somebody and call um sit down and talk with somebody you you know definitely go on the internet 
I don't want to say don't go on the internet. Go on the internet and read if you get confused. Um, but certainly read and then confirm with somebody that you, you trust and work with. Um, so a couple other ones that, that I think are going to be really important for, for employers who have dealt with the labor board. Those mm. um, The labor board used to traditionally only deal with unpaid wages. Um, and now this, as of this year, SB 688 expands the labor commissioner's authority to pursue wage claims. Now, SB 688 expands the enforcement of abil- and abilities of the labor commissioner. This is scary for a lot of people. If you have been through the labor board or there's um, employers that we work with, the clients we work with all the time who, who have been through labor commissioner processes, um, the labor commissioner is where an employee can go to file a claim for unpaid wages. So what it is, is it's important that business owners remember that the labor commissioner is there to ensure that employees get paid. Um, and so the labor commissioner is really an advocate for the employee. So anybody who goes into a labor hearing, um, a business owner, please be aware of that. Understand that that entity is there on behalf of the, the employee. employee. Now, that doesn't mean just final wages. It could be any wages. Any right? any unpaid wages. And it was up until now just unpaid wages. And they would deal with the unpaid wages. They would also deal with any penalties that were associated. But the labor board or the labor commissioner's office will put together the entire claim for the employee. They'll do all the mathematical equations. They'll come, you know, read, translate or in, interpret the code. And they will, you know, really help the employee uh, along the way. And so as a business owner, it's important that you understand when you walk in the door, you're kind of behind the eight ball. Um, and so... Well, that's great to know. That is great to know. Um, and it, it is good because it is a really accessible thing for employees. Employees don't have to pay to file a claim, although the Labor Commissioner's Board or the Labor Board is very backed up, um, but they don't have to pay for it. So it is a very accessible way right. for employees to you know, redress their, their grievances of not being paid. Anyway, previously, as I said, the Labor Commissioner only enforced actions for violations uh, alleging unpaid wages and since 688 now provides the labor commissioner with the authority to issue citations for violation of unpaid wages that were less than the wages set by the contract in excess of minimum wage. So it, along with that, we have AB 673, which permits employees to recover civil penalties for unpaid wages. So the civil penalties were previously enforceable only through an action by the labor commissioner. And now the employee is entitled to recover $100 for each initial violation for failure to pay each employee and for a subsequent violation or any willful intention violation of $200 for each failure to pay. Employers will also be liable for 25% of the amount unlawfully withheld for certain labor code violations. Mm. Um, AB 673 limits employee recovery to statutory penalties or penalties under the Private Attorney General's Act, but not both. And we've talked about PAGA briefly. Um, so essentially what it does is it it's allowing for uh, that 25% of the amount and $100 for the first violation and 200 for the, the second violation. So, for example, if you have failed to pay overtime over the course of, say, six months and you pay your employees twice a month, you will have 12 violations. The first one is wow. $100 and everyone thereafter will be $200. Um, it adds up really, really quickly. And then on top of it, we're throwing um, another 25% of the amount unlawfully withheld um, on certain labor, labor codes. So, you could be really 
um, it, you could really be sizing up some serious penalties. So really the moral of the story is really, really work with a good payroll company and work with a com- payroll company who understands payroll and how it needs to be paid out. I, I We said before on the show that I would not recommend an employer to do their own payroll. No, um, I don't. Because there's too much liability on unpaid payroll taxes, which, by the way, cannot be um, – penalties cannot be waived under bankruptcy uh, for uh, because the, uh, the payroll penalties are attached to you as a person. I don't know if a lot of people – a lot of business owners don't know that. Payroll, ta- payroll tax violations are the capital punishment. You know, they're unforgivable. Right. So people, you need to understand that payroll is not something that you take lightly. If you decide to hire employees, you know, and a sign of growth for a company is hiring. Right. You're growing. You need the human assets, you know, and, and they could be an asset if you treat them that way, but they can also become a liability if you don't treat, if you treat them unfairly. So play by the rules, right? Know what the rules are. And play by them. So just a basic, I, I would be remiss if I didn't just cover this. Please, 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 please understand that you are required to um, provide a 30-minute duty-free lunch break. Uh, is okay? that after how many hours? That is before, I would say. Five hours? Before the 59th minute of the fifth hour. Your employee better be off the clock and having lunch. And they have to leave the. Pre- they, they they have to be free to leave the premises. Um, they there is some caveats that you can restrict them if you're like at a factory location or something. You can right. restrict them to be on the premises, but they have to be duty free. And employers get into trouble when employees want to eat lunch at their desk, yeah. and then the employer is not really tracking it. And then there's a dis- dispute. Employee comes back later and says, "I, I was working. I didn't get my lunch break." So it is a good practice if you can ask your employees to you know have lunch in a in a break room or you know everybody kind of has to play it by ear depending on your own unique circumstances but if you do not provide that lunch period that 30 minute duty-free lunch period you have that violation and then what happens is you have another violation for not paying correctly then you have another violation on top of that for a um, inaccurate wage statement and each one of those comes with staged penalties so it's 50 for the First one and a hundred for everyone there. What do after. you call that? The stacking. It's called stacking up. Or yeah, essentially it's stacking. It's it one one violation is kind of like a domino effect. It creates three more violations. Right. Um, so every employer, if you have employees that are out in the field and they're working off site, construction industry, you know, carpet cleaning, residential industries, make sure that your employees are taking their lunch right. break and. The, the threshold is you you don't necessarily have to ensure that they are, but you have to continue to provide it. And the way we do it and the way we recommend our clients do it is it's it's written everywhere. It's, you know, it's on the the wage statement. It's on the employee handbook. It's it's everywhere. We could post it that you please take your lunch break. We want you to take your lunch break. And, and frankly, the employees are better when they get their breaks. Okay. So I think we I think I think we killed that one. Killed that one. Okay, so kill kill that one. So dead. which one? Do, what, 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 which other ones should I be worried about? Well, here's another one. SB 188 hairstyle discrimination. What are they going to discriminate? Against? It's been on the news lately, isn't it? Yep. Known as the Crown Act, create a respectful and open workplace for natural hair. <laughs> It's called Crown Act. It's called the Crown Act. How fitting. SB 188 expands the Fair Employment and Housing Acts. That's FIHA. Um, 
uh, definition of race to include traits historically associated with race, such as hair texture and protective hairstyles. The bill defines protective hairstyles as braids, locks, and twists. And the law prohibits a workplace dress code and grooming policies that prohibit natural hair, including afros, braids, twists, and locks. So just so you know, um, your employees um, have the right to have their hair the way they want it. Um, What about the beard? Well... That's a good question. This doesn't address beard. Um, usually you are not able to prohibit um, unless there is some sort of a safety mechanism. So, for example, firemen who the masks don't fit correctly with a beard. Um, now, again, the, here here you're going down the road of all these extra little caveats. So, so, hey. so you say one thing and it brings up 20 what if questions. Yeah, you know. <laughs> but it's true. Um, so there is an ability to restrict, but it's... It's really an aside from the general business owner. Um, natural hair um, is now you cannot prohibit somebody from having natural hair. Wow. Okay. Well, so, duly noted. do we have time for one more? Um, yes. Okay. So one more. SB 707 is the arbitration agreements, fees, and costs. And SB 707 provides that an employer's fail to pay costs and fees associated with an arbitration within 30 days of the due date results in a breach of your arbitration agreement. So if you have an agreement with your employees that we will settle any disputes in arbitration, um, thereby waiving the right to it, it waives the right to compel the arbitration. So if you're more than 30 days for paying your costs and fees, you now or do not have the protection of that arbitration agreement. You've waived it. Um, and the bill provides that the employee would in turn be able to withdraw their claim from the arbitration arena and move it over into the, the court arena. Um, Newsom assigned 15 new employment-related bills this year, so that's Woo. good to know. Um, one other one, I think we might have time for one other one, AB9, known as the Stop Harassment and Reporting Extension, or the SHARE Act, and it extends the deadline to file harassment, discrimination, or civil rights-related claim under the Fair Employment and Housing Act. So existing law prohibits any form of harassment based on a protected category, such as race, gender, sexual orientation, age, religion. We've talked about those protected classes before. Yeah. So if you have any harassment that is happening within your, um, your, your company or your business or between employees that is based on race, color, sexual orientation, any of these, these protected classes. And California has an expanded list um, compared to the federal government mm. um, that <clears throat> the person claiming to be aggrieved by alleged workplace harassment can ver- now verify a, a, a complaint with the Department of Fair Employment and Housing within one year from the date of the occurrence. Now, AB9 extends that to three years. So let me, let me put that in. That's a big window, folks. Yeah, I know. L- layman's terms. So I'm a business owner mm-hmm. and I had an employee that quit, right? Resigned, left the post and okay. uh, never heard. So according to this, they can wake up one morning on the 364th day of the third year, so a thousand days out. And they're like, you know what? I remember that employer three years ago. I was offended because of this. Mm-hmm. So they can file right then and there, which yep. means you have to have records to defend yourself. Right. And how long would that whole process take? And how long do we keep those records? Well, we recommend keeping records from anywhere from eight to 10 years. Eight to 10 years? Yeah. Longer than the IRS? Yeah. Or at least as long as the IRS. Seven it depends years. on how big your company is because, you, I mean, that wow. could literally be, you know, storing massive amounts of paper. But we what we, we want to do is, you know, Convert them to electronic files. Um, so 
stepping aside from that, this is why your employee files are incredibly important. How are you keeping your employee files? What mm. records are you keeping in your employee files? Um, and, and really policing wow. your environment to ensure that employee, employees, especially if you're de- dealing perhaps with a younger crowd, uh, maybe a, a, an environment that's a little bit lax, um, or people who may be uh, working together and their friends outside, of work and so they have a tendency to maybe banter between themselves and it's friendly you probably heard um the situation that happened i think it was clovis unified school district with the two uh, young men on social media and one of them um was um uh, uh, african-american young man and one of them was not and the, the one who was not said the n-word or put it in post and now um, was prohibited from graduating and so you know, was everybody offended? And now it's come down to, um, you know, kind of a, a, a debate was the friend that he was with that he was supposedly referring to was not offended. They were friends. They, t- you know, but because they, I was out there and be- other people saw it. Exactly. Because it was not being wise because it's out there. And so we really, really, really have to be careful of what we're saying. And sometimes we work with friends or maybe we've worked together for a long time and we've become friends and we have that kind of banter that's going on. It is not, it's just not workplace. Incidentally, and we can cover this more in detail, but I don't want to forget. So when you're hiring uh, people and you're going through your due diligence and checking out these uh, prospects and you're looking you know, in the internet and social media, I think there are now laws prohibiting you. You almost do better not checking them out in social media because that could bias you. We, abs- we absolutely recommend not, do not, do not using social media. Right, absolutely. because and, that could be biased for discrimination. Does. And everybody does, but how do you... Prove that you weren't. And, and not only that, um, when you use social media, and we all know now that social media has been around for a while, yeah. we all know that what you see on social media is not necessarily true. Correct. That also goes for the good. Right. That's true. Well, everybody, this is fun stuff. Uh, stay tuned. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Business and Legal Talk with Leo and Claudine talking about the things that matter or the things that should matter to you as a business owner. And we are here to help you maximize your cash and help you make as much money as possible so you can pay your income tax and or not get sued by doing things that you shouldn't right. be doing. Right. So this this segment or this uh, podcast or this the show today is about risk mitigation. Right. How to do things right. You need to know what the law, whether you know it or not, you're responsible for the loss of your state. Absolutely. And, and, and I can tell you that we currently um, are dealing with a number of cases right now where um, the violations of the labor codes are super blatant. And really? it's super, I mean, how bad is it? Um, Give me an example. We have... Um, Don't we name ha- names. We ha- no, no, no. We would never name names. Um, but we are dealing with uh, right now a business owner who... Um, did not have a proper clock in and clock out method for the employees. Mm, for and the so the employees were being paid based on what the schedule said, not what people were actually working. And then there was um, a, a mechanism by which they um, wrote down hours, um, you know, on a sheet of paper and had to sign it and submit it to get paid. And that, that sheet of paper showed overtime and the pay stub showed no overtime. So it, it's in writing. It's, 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 so that could be just 
negligence, right? Absolutely. Uh, just n- not understanding, not understanding the, the rules. And, and, you know, lunch breaks is probably the biggest one, that and overtime, but lunch breaks, because people will want to work until two o'clock or, hey, if I uh, work through lunch today, can I, can I leave early? That's the classic. I w- I'm totally guilty of that. Um, you, yeah, the answer has to be no. You cannot work through lunch and leave early unless you're leaving at the 59th minute of the fifth hour. Okay. Then you can leave. So but they had to have a break in between there. Okay, question. I'm going a little on a tangent, yes. but it's related to employment matters. Yes. So uh, minimum wage is going up yes. in the state of California. So that we have this tier, I think uh, by 2022, you should, we should be at 15. Correct. Uh, the entire state, that's minimum wage. So right. that's going to have, uh, notwithstanding the ripple effect that it'll have on unemployment on all businesses and especially retail. Yes. Uh, but but that with go, with that, every time you increase the minimum wage, you increase the the, the minimum salary that a person must have, right? If you, so, there's there's to be a, overtime exempt. Yeah, to be exempt from overtime. Right. So you so I, isn't that just you can help us. Um, with that, if you know, for those business owners who are listening to the show right now, you need to know if you're going to put somebody in a salary, there are rules to follow. You cannot just arbitrarily decide, I'm going to pay you $3,000 a month. There are laws, and, and it has to be at least, I believe, twice the minimum wage, and you have to be in a class that actually allows you to do that. You know, administ- there's an administrative exempt. There is software, you know, people that are, and, and there are others, you know, professionals and there's a whole list of exemptions, and they're really easy to find on the California um, DIR website. Okay. Um, Indust- Department of Industrial Relations website. And if you just Google um, overtime exempt rules, that should come up pretty quickly. And it's actually really easy to, to read, and it does go through each one of the exemptions. But it's important to understand. there is People use the word salary. I'm a salaried employee or so-and-so Without salaried. Without really understanding what it, that's all about. That is not... It, that salaried and overtime exempt different things so overtime exempt means you fit into a certain category by nature of your job and that category is well defined whether it be sales professional um and you named high white collar you know the usually the high-end white collar professionals accountants um software lawyers managers not just any managers so that's where everybody seems to have the the biggest problem is that right. we which want to categorize them as a manager and because we categorize them as a manager we think that automatically that means they're overtime exempt right they're That's not they're true. not or if they just get paid the same amount every week that doesn't mean that they're overtime <laughs> exempt right. that would be salary <laughs> overtime exempt means right. you fit into a particular category and the the company does not pay overtime on that at the same time, if the, they only work seven hours, they get paid the whole amount. And I think one big thing about the ones that are not clearly defined is those in, man- in management that they have to have some free will. They're, with the job has come some ability to make decisions, except, so decisions that you can make on your own without having to consult anybody. And that thing is that's a, that's, a, that's a way to measure how much maturity does this person can exert on their job to make decisions that would warrant them to be in an exempt uh, status, right? Right. Uh, rule of thumb: policy maker versus policy follower. If you're a policy maker, if you, you're a policy maker, it's a good guidance that you could be uh, exempt. Yep, and and it doesn't mean necessarily creating policy for the company, but it's policy making in in your day to day routine. So, for example, um, auto sales. If you have a sales manager, and that sales manager can decide 
what to sell the car for, mm. um, what options they will put what on the rebates car. to apply or not. Um, you know, and they they basically decide, um, you know, if it's a used car, or, you know, what what work we're going to put into it, if we're going to put a new paint job, and that person makes all those decisions day in and day out and they're making them by themselves you may have somebody who is uh, qualified to be overtime exempt okay got it so um, they may be a manager manager doesn't necessarily mean overtime exempt but we have to look at it and really before you put somebody on overtime exempt or on quote-unquote salary please consult definitely consult the dir website but definitely you know shout out to um, a local uh, employment attorney just to make sure that you um, are categorized correctly because what we would do then is we would follow that up with a job description that relates to the job that demonstrates what the responsibilities are and how you are um, qualified as an overtime exempt. So it, it's a we want to create the entire package. We don't want to just not pay overtime and think, oh, their salary, no problem. So that's a good um, a good way to put it. Whether you're a policymaker or a policy follower. I, I like that. That's a great takeaway. It's kind of it's it's your short version. A good way to good place to start in terms of trying to determine, um, you know, what where, where does this person qualify? So where do, where do you want to go from here? What other things that you want you think people uh, employers should know? Well, I want to touch on AB twenty five. Um, AB twenty five doesn't um, go into effect until January twenty twenty one. So we have a whole entire year. Okay. And usually, when the state gives us a whole entire year to prepare, that means that this is something that's going to take some preparation. Mm. Um, just like the the harassment training that, I'd, if a shout out, if you have not started your harassment training, if you have five or more employees, regardless of their managers or not, you need to get your harassment training done by December 31st. And that is coming wow. really quickly. Five employees or more. Five employees or more. It used to be just management. Now it's not five employees or more. Okay, um, okay so AB 25 is the employee's personal information excluded from California Consumer Privacy Act. This bill excludes employees and prospective employees and prospective employees from the consumer definition under the California Consumer Privacy Act until January 21, January 1, 2021. Um, the law exempts any individuals acting as a job applicant to an employee of, owner of, director of, officer of, medical staff member of, or contractor of that business. And therefore, employers have one additional year to comply with the requirements of CCPA, pertaining to applicants and employees' information. AB 25 was passed to assist in clarifying with some aspects of CCPA, and the law was passed in 2018 and meant to give consumers certain knowledge about what data wow. companies are collecting about them. And now that data mining is such a big deal and companies are doing it, Interesting. Um, you, there are companies that have been taking information under the guise of gathering applications, and what are they doing with that information? So now the state is reaching out and we are um, adding the definition of consumer to now applicants. So you have to be extremely careful with what you're doing with information that you're you're acquiring from various people. Big data, it's becoming a um, an industry. Uh, and, and you know, um, if you notice on the on the employment websites, you're gonna see a lot more data mining architects um, because data mining, it's information. It's the next, you know, gold. You know, it's it's uh, it's like you know there are the forty ers mining for gold that was actual gold, and now the new gold, it's information, 
and that the companies that hold that information, aka you know the ones that you know the, the Googles, the Facebooks, they have in control the information and in, in understanding patterns of conduct. And, you know, we're talking about branding and understanding your avatar and all that. They, that it's data, it's power. Knowledge is power, truly right. to the nth degree. So, Not only yeah, is power, point. but it's lucrative. And it's very lucrative power. And you can sell it. And it's something that you can collect and sell. And uh, I, I caution clients um, and, and just anybody listening out there who is on the internet and you fill out these forms and in order to get this information or you know, this deal on something, they want you to fill out, fill out the form. Mm. And the, the, so many companies are not there to provide that widget or that service that they're saying they're going to provide. They're actually there just to collect data. They, the, the service is Which secondary. They sell back to people who actually purchase this information, correct, right? Correct, correct, correct. So um, it, the, the service or the product or the widget or whatever is a secondary thing to them. So what they're trying to do is just get you to fill out that form um, and, you know, so they can sell it. So as right. a business owner, you got to be really, really cautious of it. Really, really super cautious. Um, what else? Um, which direction you want to go to? Well, I think that there are a number of um, other employment-related bills that um, are signed by the governor this year um, under worker safety and occupational safety and public employment relations and stuff like that. Um, probably just say if, if you have a unique business or perhaps you're operating in a unique space um, and, you know, public safety or something along those lines, you know, definitely go – um, go online and see if you find anything that is absolutely relating to you or reach out to an attorney, um, somebody who you trust who is in the industry and can do the appropriate research to determine whether or not there is something new that's happening in your industry. Okay, I do have a question yes. So for you. So, um, you know, the hourlies, right? The, the, the hourly workers. Mm -hmm. um, and is it okay to have uh, some verbiage in the timesheet for them to acknowledge, you know, because right now it's our word against it. So, you know, some type of statement that says, I hereby acknowledge that I have taken all of my bill break, meal breaks and rest periods um, on the penalty of perjury. Can actually somebody sign that? Can an employee sign that? Because they're, they're actually, they're, they're filling that timesheet. Say it's a paper timesheet that they turn over to uh, HR or the payroll department. Can, can that be done? I suppose it could be done. What what makes me um, a little bit nervous is: Are they being required to sign that in order to get their paycheck, or does the employee believe if I don't sign this, I'm not going to get my paycheck? Mm. Um, so then you're leveraging their paycheck, and in California, you can't withhold wages for any reason. Um, you know, I've I've had employers say, "Oh, you know, so and so employee damaged, um, you know, the vehicle, or or okay. did did something," and and they well, fair, fair enough, but that's not okay. So. You're you're attesting to your hours. There has to be some way to validate their hours. You say, we don't want anybody to come and say, well, I didn't work those hours. I actually had less hours or more hours. Or how do you ensure that those, and they actually took their meal breaks. You saw them walking away. And in the timesheet says that they didn't. So what, we, so what we would recommend you do is have your employee fill out their timesheet time and put on there what their lunch was initial it and sign it so if they're filling it all out you know they're they're filling out their timesheet and they're signing it that they that they're attesting that this is a true and accurate representation of their time i'm very comfortable with that okay so and we can get into that a little bit more because there's some 
common mistakes employers are making. I we'll do it after a break. We'll be right back. Stay tuned. All right, we're going to bring it home. It's been a fun and exciting hour, hasn't it, Claudine? It is It is for, for me, um, <laughs> for other people, not so much. I, I have um, had... It's like watching paint dry. Or- yeah, well, I've had opportunities to talk about labor code changes and, and violations with you know people in group settings. And I've, I, I think people get afraid and I feel bad for them because they, you know, it's just like, you're kidding me. One more new rule. Um, and so it, yeah, unfortunately, but the last subject that I really wanted to touch on, um, and part of it is just because this is big when it comes to employment, workplace harassment. Um, and it's a, it's a phrase that we've been hearing quite a lot in, in the media, which is quid pro quo. Yeah. What's that all about? Yeah. Quid pro quo. If you haven't picked it up from media yet, um, it's a been some, living under a rock. That's right. You, ha- you have been living under a rock, um, but it's something for something. Something. For um, something. And that is really the most common type of, um, of harassment in the mm, workplace. Mm, mm, um, something and when it falls under the, the heading of sexual harassment and hostile work environment um, and quid pro harassment is a type of workplace and sexual harassment that occurs when a manager, director, supervisor requires or requests that an employee exchange sexual favors and return for promotions, career advancement, advancements and other types of benefits. And that is that last phrase, other types of benefits. What does that mean? That, that, Word can really mean a lot of things. It might be parking in the in the front parking space by the door. Mm. Um, it might be you know getting um, to leave work five minutes early every day. It, you know it might be getting whatever days off you want so that you can attend your your kids um, you know school functions. So a common examples of quid pro quo because people you know start to think about it and they go well well if I if if an employee asks me if they can do something and then I agree to that, is that, you know, does that constitute a quid pro quid pro quo? Because they're asking for something, they're getting it. And so they're receiving a benefit. So the common, common quid pro quo harassment scenarios are withholding pay or benefits such as vacation or sick time, unless the employee agrees to accept the request, um, penalizing employees by reducing their hours or responsibilities. And I know that some people may not see re- a reduction of responsibility as being a penalty, but it actually can be because there are people who are thriving in their workplace and they are building their careers and they don't want to have responsibilities taken away from them. So you're saying um, taking away responsibility, but still leaving the same pay, just the responsibility part? Yeah, absolutely. So if, hmm. if there was an employee, so for, for example, who had gotten to a place in their career where they were able to travel and, you know, conduct or host seminars, and you're saying, you know, I don't think that you're going to be going doing that anymore. And it's something the employee really wanted to do as a benefit to their career. It's helping them advance themselves and putting themselves out there in a public way. You take that away from them, then that, that can easily become a a penalty. So it seems counterintuitive. You're like, you know what? Uh, I, I, you're highly compensated and I hate for you to be traveling that much and I don't want you to go do that anymore. Right. Not knowing that that was a benefit for the employee that they wanted to better their career. So because it cannot be done just, you know, simply um, innocently, right? Right. And, it, and this topic oftentimes kind of gets saturated with sexual harassment. And there's also harassment that is non-sexual. 
that that goes along with it. And I think the sexual harassment is a lot easier to identify. Somebody is, you know, putting themselves forward. They are making advances. They're making um, crude jokes. They're they're having inappropriate conversation. That's oftentimes a lot easier to identify than just the harassment. And and I've had a lot of people over the years come to me and say, oh, you know, I want to sue for harassment. And, you know, I my boss is this and he says that and he did this and he did that. And we really have to kind of sift through all of the stuff and say, is this a case of the boss or the manager just being a real jerk? Mm. Because there's no law against being a jerk. We're pretty close, but you can be a jerk and not necessarily be guilty of harassment. And harassment is really that kind of ongoing and persistent prevailing um, behavior. It's just ongoing and persistent. Um, And so creating false negative performance reviews, I've, I've had that happen. I've had clients come in and say, Hey, I did really good. And all my performance reviews were fantastic until I told, you know, the manager, no, I wouldn't go out with them. And all of a sudden I've got a negative, mm. you know, that's one of those things that's going to be easy. False identif- negative. Yeah. It's going to be a lot more easily identified because it's in writing. Right. Um, and so if it, if you are an employee and you feel like you're in a situation where you're being harassed at work and doesn't necessarily have to come from a superior either. You can be harassed by coworkers. Now, again, coworkers can be jerks. There are people who are childish, immature, and they do do silly things. To what level is it rising um, that it actually constitutes harassment? You know, the quid pro quo, I kind of bring that up because that's kind of the obvious. If you are ever in that scenario where it's an exchange of this for that, um, then, then you can feel pretty confident that you have a case that um, is likely at least something that we, there's some meat there that we could prove. Um, and so question, is an employer always responsible for harassment in the workplace? Is the employer, I don't, I wouldn't think so. Is it? Yep. Under California and federal oh, law. Oh, perfect. An employer is automatically legally responsible for harassment by a supervisor that causes an employee to suffer any economic damage. So, yes, the the employer is always. And then, you know, along with that, um, the burden of proof. So when you have a quid pro quo scenario, uh, in most jurisdictions, the burden of proof lies with the employer, not the employee, to prove it didn't happen. Is it ever any different in any other state? Um, Yes. This is a a pro-employee state. And so is New York. Yes, very. What about a state like Texas? I have no idea what the Texas law is. So I would say that there's a good chance in some of your more rural states um, that you're not going to see this level of employee protection. Right. I would just guess, but I don't know. I don't, con- yeah. don't practice law there. And right. um, because of social media and technology, we're finding that things are becoming um, a lot more level playing field. Yeah. You know, yeah. pe- people find out what's happening over in California. Employees are protected over there. Well, why aren't we imp- protecting our in, employees right, here? In other states, follow suit. You know, the big changes in the state of Oregon, you know, in the state of Washington, you know, the West Coast. Um, and, uh, you know, California kind of leads the pack uh, as far as the West Coast and New York on the East. So I wouldn't be surprised, you know, neighboring states and with social media, everything is out there for everybody to see. Yeah. So, and a lot of these things become news, you know, they make it through the core system and there's ubiquitous, you know, everywhere. CNN is everywhere. Fox News is everywhere. Um, 
So just the moral of the story is, and as we said at the beginning, it behooves you as a business owner to know what's going on. Now, do you have to um, do everything yourself? No. You, I would suggest that you get, you got to have a good tax accountant, somebody, a good business advisor, and a good lawyer. Absolutely. As an attorney at your corner because that's your dream team. As a business owner, don't try to be, do what you do best and let other capable individuals. And, you know, you should have a board of advisors comprised of people who are there to watch your back. And, and you know, times have changed. We we do on-site visits for our, our clients. And so we'll come into your, your workplace and we will visit with your managers. We'll build a relationship with your managers. We yep. will spend the time doing that so that we can help them grow and develop. And, and, and if you are not policing your work environment, you are not doing yourself any service whatsoever. Just relying on, you know, other people to do it for you, setting a standard of acceptable behavior. And um, honestly, it all starts with the leadership and the example leadership is taking. And I can't tell you how many clients or businesses that we have gone into where we have seen the managers or even the owners are ones who use um, kind of negative comedy Mm. Uh, picking on employers or you think you're joshing with dark them. Dark humor. Dark humor. Kind of the office. I, yeah. And and if you are somebody who who kind of partakes in that and, uh, you know, it's a way of making a joke or perhaps it's a way of um, kind of calming, you know, nerves or, you know, some people do that. They're just a little nervous and so they start throwing jokes out there. Um, yeah. You really have to be the leader in your environment. And if you have any questions at all, reach out to somebody. I would say... This day and age, if you don't have advisors who are willing to come to your workplace and see your workplace, see what's going on there, um, bookkeepers that are not willing to come to the workplace and mm. and and be their advisors like like Greenland that are yep. if they're not willing to come to your place, um, I, I might want to keep on looking. Make a resolution for twenty twenty that to be surrounded. You are you know as. Uh, as Napoleon Hill said, the result of the five closest people you hang out with. Yep. If you hang out with great advisors, you'll become better yourself. If you hang out with losers, you end up being one. Yep. So, hey, uh, that's it for today. Hope you enjoyed the show. We didn't mean to scare you, but I think you should know this stuff because you're building a business. All right. Have a great weekend, everybody. We'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye.